earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Are you in your car? Are you home somewhere else on your mobile device catching the podcast? Friends, we've embarked on a summer series touching others with our faith. And my hope is we'll discover ways we can reach out to people in our circles of relationships or our spheres of influence by naturally entering into spiritual conversations, being Jesus to others in everyday life. Part one was looking with Jesus' eyes. Part two, listening to the Spirit's voice. Part three, living out the Savior's call. And today, part four will be loving with the love of the Lord. And if you've missed any, don't sweat it. The podcasts are freely available at faithtalk1360.com. Well, friends, I'm pretty sure that the name Charles Schwab is not unfamiliar to many of us. Schwab, a wealthy industrialist, went to court and won a nuisance suit at age 70. He said, we become vulnerable when we love people and go out of our way to help them. Before Schwab left the courtroom, however, he asked the judge permission to address the audience. He then stated, I'd like to say here in a court of law... And speaking as an old man, that nine-tenths of my troubles are traceable to my being kind to others. And friends, I'd like any young people listening to me today to listen up. If you want to steer away from trouble, become hard-boiled. Be quick with a good, loud no to anyone and everyone. If you live with this as your general rule... You'll seldom be bothered as you walk down life's path. But you'll have no friends. You'll be lonely and you won't have any joy. Because, friends, ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. So in this series, we've superimposed this template over Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well, over Philip the Evangelist's encounter with the Ethiopian eunuch, and over the Good Samaritan's encounter with a man beaten by robbers and left for dead. Well, friends, by being willing to be loving channels, we give God permission to engineer circumstances in people's lives in such a way that either we come across their path or they come across ours. So far, we've looked at how a person in a biblical story made themselves available to God to be a channel, if you will, to bring divine resources to a human need. And the outcome? Bringing glory back to God. 
asked, well, today I want to be absolutely sure we don't overlook a very important word in that third phrase, the word loving in through loving channels. Because this word makes all the difference, friends. Without it, this four-pronged statement would simply take on the character of a duty. We would then force the statement to declare mere obligation as part of our life as Christ followers. Inserting love, however, functions like the piece de resistance, the icing on the cake, whipped cream on top of the sundae, cherry on top of the whipped cream. Author Richard P. McBrien, in an article in Christianity Today, made this provocative statement. If love is the soul of Christian existence, it must be at the heart of every other Christian virtue. Thus, for example, justice without love is legalism. Faith without love is ideology. Hope without love is self-centeredness. Forgiveness without love is self-abasement. Fortitude without love is recklessness. Generosity without love is extravagance. Care without love is mere duty. And fidelity without love is servitude. Every virtue is an expression of love. No virtue is really a virtue unless it is permeated or informed by love. Friends, even regarding the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, many Bible students propose that each of these fruit are actually an aspect of love, which not coincidentally is mentioned first. Missionary Dr. Kenneth Moyner describes the fruit of the Spirit poetically in Joy is love exalting, and peace is love at rest. Patience love enduring in every trial and test. Gentleness, love yielding to all that is not sin. Goodness, love in action that flows from Christ within. Faith is love's eyes opened, the loving Christ to see. Meekness, love not fighting, but bowed at Calvary. Temperance, love in harness and under Christ's control. The Christ is love in person and love Christ in the soul. We have our own conception of what love is, don't we, friends? And we use the word love to express a variety of human feelings, emotions, and sensations. The following list is by no means exhaustive, but you'll get the picture. Observe how the word love is used in these statements. I love my job. I love living in Arizona. I love hot dogs. I love my wife or husband. I love my pet. I love my friends. I love God. Well, friends, an interesting display of love occurred back in 1993 when a 31-year-old woman, Sophia White, burst into the hospital nursery at USC Medical Center in Los Angeles wielding a 38 caliber handgun. She was looking for Elizabeth Staten, a nurse she accused of stealing her husband. White fired six shots, hitting Staten in the wrist and stomach. Staten fled, but White chased her into the ER, firing again. There, with blood on her clothes and holding a hot pistol, Sophia was met by another nurse, Joan Black, who did the unthinkable. 
Joan calmly walked over to Sophia and hugged her. Joan then spoke comforting words to Sophia. The assailant told her she had nothing to live for and that Elizabeth Staten stole her family. You're in pain, Joan said. I'm sorry. Everyone has pain in their life. I understand, and we can work it out. As they talked, Sophia kept her gun finger on the trigger. At one point, she even raised it as if to shoot herself. Nurse Black just pushed her arm back down and continued to hold her. Finally, Sophia surrendered the gun to Nurse Black. It was a hug that finally disarmed her. Later, when interviewed by an associate press reporter, Nurse Joan Black remarked, I saw a sick person and had to take care of her. That day, Joan Black was a lot like Jesus. Doesn't Jesus look at us in a similar way? Doesn't he see us as sick and broken inside and in need of his care? And isn't his embrace what finally disarms us? Now, friends, I mentioned earlier that I wanted to be absolutely certain that we don't overlook the word loving in the third phrase of this four-pronged saying, ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. Just being channels alone isn't enough. As Christ followers, we need to be loving channels. Remember last time in part three when we looked at the Good Samaritan in Luke 10? I mentioned that, sadly, many Christ followers are convinced its main lesson is to convict us of our social responsibility to our fellow human beings and remind us we can always be doing more for others. Well, friends, that perspective almost guarantees we'll be motivated by guilt. And if that's what happens, we're doing ourselves and the scriptures a great disservice. So I made the point last time that the Good Samaritan story was set in the context of evangelism and as such is connected to earlier words by Jesus in the opening of Luke 10. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, friends, each and every day we set foot outside our home, we enter the harvest field. We may only go as far as our Jerusalem, or we may journey out into our Judea, our Samaria, or even to our remotest part of the earth. The important question we have to ask ourselves then is this, do we see ourselves as laborers? Do I? Do you? And as a laborer in the field, do we view ourselves as a channel of God's love? Do we picture ourselves every day as a potential loving channel whereby divine resources may meet human needs to the glory of God? In fact, do we anticipate the possibility that the Lord may provide an opportunity to touch someone with our faith? The reason I've chosen to bring up love at this early stage in the series is because I could go on for the next umpteen weeks and bring to your attention stories in the Bible and stories from real life that show how people in various life situations made themselves available to God. But if you miss the most important word that addresses the underlying motive for all we do, there won't be any genuine excitement in your life about being used 
used by God as a channel of his love, you might too easily forget that the Lord's desire is to love others through you. For you see, ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. And this, I believe, is what motivated the Good Samaritan, not guilt, but love for his fellow man. Listen to a single verse from the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 5.14. It's potent, for the love of Christ controls us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Now, controls or compels in our English Bibles comes from a Greek word that is virtually impossible to translate with one equivalent English word. Its meaning is too rich and textured. It not only carries the ideas of being controlled or being compelled, but also being seized or gripped by and being hemmed in by. In other words, the love of Christ is to so seize us or grip us, hem us in. In other words, completely envelop us and control us in such a way that it motivates us to reach out and touch others with our faith. Because just as God so loved the world of people, we should love the world of people. Friends, the motivation for touching others with our faith is to be the love of Christ, not duty and not guilt. Notice how this statement in verse 14 is also set in the context of evangelism. There's a tinge of evangelism before and after it. In verse 11 we read, Since then we know what it is to fear God, we try to persuade others. And the gist of verse 17 through 20 is in verses 19 and 20. God was reconciling himself to the world in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God's love for others, the world, if you will, should be at the heart of everything we do. So I'm not going to assume we all know what this love is or what the characteristics or traits that this love particularly possesses and communicates. This word and concept in the New Testament is the word agape. Maybe you've heard it before. And it is distinguished from several other words translated love in our English Bibles. The particular word that the New Testament writers chose to use to describe the highest form of love possible, the love that God has and demonstrates toward us, and the kind of love God desires we have and demonstrate toward others, is this agape word. It's really an interesting word choice. Its classical origin is somewhat unclear. Only the verb form appears in Greek literature from the time of Homer on, that is, the 1800s BC. 
Outside the Bible, the noun form appears only once, as a title for the Egyptian goddess Isis. Her cult spread throughout the Roman Empire to Rome and Greece, and was incorporated into the Greco-Roman pantheon of female deities. On rare occasions, agape referred to a person favored by a god, and there it meant generosity demonstrated by one for the sake of another. Of several most popular options in the Greek language for love, we can see why the New Testament writers chose agape to describe God's generous love for humankind and the highest love expected of us in our relationships with each other. So, friends, under the inspiration and superintending of the Holy Spirit, the New Testament authors lifted a word and concept out of their pre-existing cultural toolbox and elevated to a loftier level than it had been in its mere usage in classical literature. In its new gospel setting, then, agape came to refer to a love that is given for its own sake, wanting nothing in return, and a love that seeks only and always the absolute best for others. Oh my! Now, friends, before we expand on this definition as revealed in our Bible, let's briefly define in contrast three other options for love we find inside and outside the Bible's culture. First, our English word erotic came from the Greek word eros, meaning purely physical or sexual love. The New Testament writers chose not to use this word due to its especially vulgar context in that culture, so they substituted another word for the prohibitions against sexual immorality, porneo, meaning fornication, and where we got our English word pornography. Second, our English words Philadelphia, philanthropy, or philosophy come from the Greek word phileo, best understood as friendship love or brotherly love. So Philadelphia means city of brotherly love, philanthropy means love of mankind, and philosophy means love of wisdom. We see phileo in such New Testament passages as Romans 12.10, 1 Corinthians 16.22, and first Peter one twenty two. And it is behind Jesus' word in John fifteen fifteen to his disciples, I have called you friends, using this word phileo. Third, domestic affection or the affectionate love between family members is brought out by the word storge. Interestingly, in the New Testament, it is only used in its negative form. In Romans one thirty-one, it's translated unloving. In 2 Timothy 3.3, it's translated without natural affection. It's also been translated heartless. Don't show love to their own families. Shows no loyalty to parents. And friends, this is for free, because some of you out there may be thinking, ah, so what? Well, Second Timothy 3.3 elaborates on the behaviors predicted for the end times, and Storge here tips us off that in the end times the love between family members is what's being referred to, not love in general. Oh, well... This is as the first century backstory. We can now see why the New Testament writers gave preferential treatment to the word agape to describe God's love for us humans in the highest form of love that he expects us to exhibit in our relationships with each other. 
So from agape's usage throughout the New Testament, we can actually distill its intended meaning down to these key truths. First, agape love describes God himself, his essential nature. God is love, not that God has or possesses love. Second, agape love is a giving love, a demonstrated love. In other words, agape love doesn't give people what they deserve, but what they need. Third, agape love is love in action. Fourth, agape love meets needs. Fifth, agape love is deliberate. It's based on will, not feelings. Sixth, agape love is moral, benevolent, and includes goodwill. In other words, willing good for others. Seventh, agape love is self-sacrificing and committed. Eighth, agape love is not biased, prejudiced, or discriminating and does not show partiality. Ouch! Ninth and lastly, agape love is sacred. If love is not sacred, then it has a price. Remember the Esau and Jacob story? Are we already feeling that we fall short of this love? Well, let me help remove our guilt, okay? Because hearing all this is pretty overwhelming, isn't it? Well, friends, I'm here to say, take heart. We are not the source of God's love. We are the channels. Amen? Remember our ministry mantra? Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels to the glory of God. And remember the engineer's prayer. Lord, engineer circumstances in people's lives today so that you can love them through me. Now, in line with that prayer, here's another powerful statement. When Jesus becomes Lord of our lives, we forfeit forever the right to choose whom we will love. Ooh. So now let's insert that idea into our ministry mantra, okay? Ministry takes place when divine resources meet human needs through loving channels. And an essential component of through loving channels is if we want to be loving channels, we must forfeit forever the right to choose whom we will love. Not easy. And friends, I'm going to share with you a few scripture verses that you can take to the bank that will help us all to see we can grow and progress in agape love, be comforted by these scriptures, and provide us with some extra motivation to be striving or pressing on towards this noble goal. First, in Paul's prayer in Philippians 1, 9 through 11, he begins, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. Second, in Paul's uplifting instructions to the Thessalonian Christians, he says in 1 Thessalonians 3.12, May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else. And again in chapter 4, 9 through 10, he says, Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, excel still more. 
Lastly, in 2 Thessalonians 1.3, Paul says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as it is only fitting because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you towards one another grows even greater. A song, Jesus to the World, by New Song, includes these lyrics. Jesus came with a message that would change the way we live. He showed us all by example what the heart of heaven is. He saw our need and heard our cry. He loved us so much that he gave his life. He taught us by his sacrifice how we should live our lives. We can talk and talk about what's wrong, but that won't change one thing at all. We must take God's love where the hurting live, because that's what Jesus did. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're nearing the end of today's program. It's my hope this summer series is helping us to look with Jesus' eyes, listen to the Spirit's voice, live out the Savior's call, and grow in agape love so we can love others with the love of the Lord. Let's continue praying for the people around us that need Jesus, that they might see Jesus in us and seek the Holy Spirit for ways we can naturally and creatively touch others with our faith. Let's remember the engineer's prayer. Amen. Have you been courageous enough to pray it and see what God does? Well, today's broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. I'd love to hear how God is working through you to touch others with your faith. Please also consider joining the support team. I'll be happy to give you the details. Thanks to you whose support is helping keep this program on the air. Also keep in mind that the podcasts are freely available at faithtalk1360.com. Just search for local program podcasts. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.